My Father has a perfect will, predestined long ago, that all who call upon His name a Christian life must show, must magnify the One who died on wondrous Calvary, must take the world His saving grace. Redemption brings so free. He put a new song in my mouth, a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth, a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. I often wonder where he'll guide, what path he will select, what avenue of service true for me he will direct. I only know my task each day, obey his precious word. Conform in likeness to his Son, the rest is then assured. My loving Father and my God delights in using men who serve Him with a truthful heart, who look in faith to heaven. Oh, take and use my life, dear Lord, may souls through me be one, that one day I may hear you say, Well done, thou faithful son. He put a new song in my mouth, a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. He put a new song in my mouth, a new song in my mouth. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Thank you, Pastor Toman. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn in them to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 in our Bibles. Got an email last week, I think it was, uh, from a secretary at the school where uh, my children attend, Genesee Christian, and uh, one of my children are planning to play baseball, Ian. And so uh, the there was a list you know, make sure your son, if he's going to participate, has a glove and cleats and, you know, sliding pants and all these sorts of things. Just baseball gloves. And there was a list, you know, and actually Cindy got the email before I did. And she said, did you get the email? Did you see the list? And I, I said I hadn't. And, and, uh, and then she kind of gave me the look like use discretion because I like filling those lists. OK, like I like going to Dunham's. I like saying, hey, what about, look at this bat. Imagine how far you can hit the ball with this bat, you know. I mean, look at this glove. What kind of glove do you have? Okay, yeah, you've grown. Maybe you need a new one. Okay, that's that's the way I tend to be. So Cindy kind of gave me a look, and she said, now there's a list, you know, and so I was excited about that. We haven't filled it yet, so something to look forward to. And uh, some of you, lists like that are like, oh, no. You know, I have to spend money 
on my child, you know, but some of us are like, oh, good, I get to do it. I get to spend my excuse. Um, but the question is, does he have what he needs to play baseball? And uh, there's a list for that. Um, we're going to go do some tent camping in June up near Traverse City. And uh, my children went with my sister and brother-in-law last summer. Um, we weren't able to go with them just because of the schedule of things. But I'm planning to go. And uh, I've already been over to Dunham's. And I've been looking around. You know, I mean, there's... There's stoves, and then there are stoves, you know, like, uh, and I'm already thinking of, like, what we're going to eat. And, of course, I haven't gone with this group. I'm just kind of tagging along, but I've got visions. You know, there are tents where people can kind of cram into them, and then there are, there are tents, you know. And, there, of course, I mean, why stop at a tent, you know, for that matter? Uh, and then if you're really going to get out and enjoy God's creation, couldn't you do that better with some sort of a four or six seater ATV, you know, or or maybe a boat? I mean, it's one thing to look out upon the sea and say, wow, the Lord is wonderful. Or there's getting out in it with a tube behind it some 40 miles an hour, you know, or or then if, you know, if you really want something quiet, you know, a kayak or two or maybe more. I mean, there's six of us. I mean, why stop there? And how do you carry all those things? I mean, of course, I'm joking a little bit. We're not going to have all these things. But the question is, do, you, do we have what we need to go camping? You know, sleeping bags, pad. Do you need a pad? You're going to sleep on the ground? Yes. Some, some of your air mattresses, right. By the time you blow that air mattress up, the whole thing is starting to lift off the ground, you know, the whole tent. There's, you need a bigger tent. See, there you go. You know, so see where this goes. So do you have what you need to go camping? Um, you know, in your kitchen, do you have the right tools you need to cook? I mean, there's just basic. And then you could have, look at these pots. These pots, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can have, right? So when it comes to our walk with the Lord, your personal walk with the Lord, our Christian lives, do you feel you have what you need? I guess that's my question. That's what I'm getting at this morning. Do you, do you have what you need? And I want you to think about it. Think about yourself. Think about your walk with the Lord. Think about maybe temptations that you faced this week or maybe some that you faced consistently throughout your life. Um, are you overcoming in those areas? Or maybe it's fear or worry. Um, do, you, do you feel that you have what you need to live the life God has saved you to live. Um, tonight, I'm excited about tonight. We're starting this series on eternal rewards. I've never preached a series like this. We've touched on it. We've touched on those truths as I've taught the word of God to you over the years. But I've never preached a series on it. And uh, the Bible is full of truth. Um, it is truth, but it is full of Bible truths about eternal rewards from cover to cover. And... And really the heart of the matter is, it's we're going through the, this life, which often brings heartache and grief and trials and temptations, joys as well, victories as well. But is it worth it to persevere? Is it worth it to choose the eternal over the temporal? Um, does, uh, our society does not care about that, about the eternal. Does God, we would say God does care about the eternal. We struggle to care about the eternal and value the right things, right? We struggle with that. Sometimes it may seem like others, other believers are not caring about the eternal. Does God care? Does he notice? Does it matter to him? If it, if it matters to me or if it doesn't matter to me. And, and if we don't have confidence that he cares and that it, he is pleased by us choosing the eternal over the temporal, then we're not going to choose the eternal. And that's just the way it's going to be. And so eternal rewards are, are it's proof that God, it validates what God cares about, what's valuable to him. It declares for us what God values. He wants us to value what he values. And he wants us to live our lives in this, in this life so that someday he will look at us and say, well done, well done.
thou good and faithful servant. And it will be more than that. He's going to give rewards to us that really are beyond our comprehension. They are amazing and they are eternal. We're going to explore those over the weeks to come. And I'm excited about that series. I would encourage you, whether you normally uh, join with us and, and study the Bible on Sunday nights, whether that's normal for you or not, this series, um, I don't like to emphasize part of the Bible more than other parts, but this series, if you do not know these truths, it is very likely in ignorance you will choose things that are with the wrong decision. Maybe you'll make wrong decisions in this life, and it will cost you for all of eternity. Okay, So it's a huge, big deal. I'm looking forward to it. So do you have everything that you need for the life that God wants you to live today? Ephesians is a marvelous book. We've studied it in the past. The first few chapters of the book of Ephesians talk about our riches in Christ. It talks about it's full of doctrine. The first three chapters are full, rich with doctrinal truths. The last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are very practical. They're, Paul, by the Spirit of God, is applying those doctrinal truths of the first three chapters. He's making application, practical application to the lives of the believers of how they should walk. If, if these things are true in the first three chapters, then this is how we should live in the last three chapters. And he spells it out pretty clearly. Many years ago, Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman was hosting a series of meetings, and during those meetings, a man gave a testimony, and this was recorded. I'll quote what he said, but he recounted his life, and he said this. He said, I got off the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp. He was a beggar, and for a year, I begged on the streets for a living. One day, I touched a man on the shoulder, and I said, hey, mister, can you give me a dime? And as soon as I saw his face... I was shocked to see that it was my own father. I said, Father, Father, do you know me? And throwing his arms around me with tears, he said, Oh, my son, I found you. I have found you. A dime? A dime? All I have is yours. And then this man said, the man giving the testimony, he said, Men, think of it. I was a tramp. I stood begging my own father for 10 cents when for 18 years... He had been looking for me to give me all that he was worth. And the point is, I think sometimes we as believers um, go about through this life in this world begging, looking for satisfaction, fulfillment, the things of this world, and it never brings it. And we feel like we have we don't have what we need. We, we live without hope. We live without confidence. We live without assurance. We live in poverty, we think, when actually in Christ we have all of the riches of our Heavenly Father in Him. We have everything that we need. Look at the text, Ephesians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. We're talking about church membership in our series on Sunday mornings and what it means to be a church member. And that's what Paul is talking about here, what God is talking to us about. Verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, Paul, in this text, is still talking about unity. He's still talking about unity. And he's saying to you and me, unity in a church is important to God. It's important to God. He values it. It's actually a product of the work of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of individual believers. 
And when we as individual believers are saying yes to the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, God brings us together in sweet, glorious, God-honoring unity. We're going to look at more of this this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll look and study it together. Father, help us, I pray, as we look at this passage Father, I truly desire that Trinity Baptist Church would be an accurate depiction to the world of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Lord, it's my desire that the world would see Christ in this assembly of believers. And that we would be able to point others who are lost to Christ who can save them. Father, I pray that we would not be worldly. I pray that we would not be selfish or self-centered or arrogant. But I pray that we, in humility, would follow our Lord and our Savior. And Father, I am asking that you would make Trinity Baptist Church to be the church that you want us to be. So, Work in our hearts, I pray, by your word and by your spirit. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now look again at verse number one, would you? Here's a couple of important words. We'll just touch on them briefly. They don't seem all that important. The words, therefore, and beseech. Um, You see the word therefore, right? We've talked about this before. Whenever you see the word therefore, you look before to find out what for, right? That's the saying, as you've probably heard it before. But Paul, as he's writing, penning down these words, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and that's that's a wonderful position to be in as a servant of the Lord, a prisoner of his, to do his will, to do his bidding. He says, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So therefore, what is he talking about here? He's, he's basing what he's about to say upon um, the truth, the doctrinal truths that he's talked about in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And what had Paul talked about in chapters 1, 2, and 3? Well, in chapter 1, he had talked about how that by God's grace, we, each one of us, belong to God. We belong to him. Isn't it wonderful to belong to somebody? to be cared for by that person. Well, as some of us are married and our wife, as men, our wife, our wives care for us. Or if you're a, a wife, you have a husband who cares for you. Sometimes that breaks down in a husband-wife relationship where a husband does not care for his wife. That can be incredibly discouraging to her. Or a wife who does not care for her husband. Or it's wonderful to belong to children. I, my still, children are still young enough, Jeff, when I come home, uh, sometimes my daughters and Will, Ian hasn't done it in a while, but that's okay since he's about my height, but they'll still come to me and sometimes say, Daddy's home, and they'll put their arms around me and hold me, and I haven't even gotten my briefcase down yet, and I'm staggering. They're all bigger, uh, but it's wonderful to be loved, right? It's wonderful to be longed for and cared for. Maybe you're not married or you're single. Well, you're you're. God, your heavenly father, loves you and cares for you. And so in chapter one, Paul had talked about this. He had reminded, taught these Christians, you belong to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in later on, he talked about how they had been reconciled, reconciled to God in chapter two. And then in, uh, later on in chapter three, he told them that they had victory in Christ And and so he's basing what he's about to tell us in chapter 4 upon these truths, how we belong to the body of Christ, that we've been raised from the dead, and we've been reconciled to God, and in Christ we are victorious. And what we believe really has a huge effect on how we walk, how we live. See, if I don't believe what the Bible teaches, that Christ had victory over death and hell and the grave, then there's no reason to believe that I should have victory over that either. So my belief that I can have victory over sin and temptation and death and hell, that I can go to heaven someday, is completely based upon what we know, what the Bible has taught us, that Jesus Christ overcame 
all of those things. Okay. Or to for me to go through life thinking that I am destitute, that I'm a pauper, that I, that I just don't have what I need, and no one knows, and no one cares about me, frankly, and, and no one can possibly know my needs or meet my needs. That is a terrible, lonely place to be. But why don't I believe that? Well, because I know, because the Bible teaches me so, that God is my father and that I am his child and that he knows my needs. He knows my hurts. He knows my desires. He knows my failures, loves me anyway, and that he has promised to provide for me and that he only gives to me what is best for me and what will bring him glory. Um, so Bible doctrine is incredibly important. It's important that we know what the Bible says. What we believe, how we behave, how we behave is based upon what we believe. How we live is based upon how we, or what we believe. So Paul is saying God's wealth is our wealth and it should impact our walk and how we live. So God is calling us by his grace. He's called us. We're a part of his body. And so now he's imploring us to walk worthy of the unity of that body. God has, he has chosen you. He's made you a part of his church. That's a glorious privilege. And he's now saying to you and me, I've, I've called you out. I've put you in my body, the body of my son, Lord Jesus Christ. That unity, the unity of that body is very important to me. And I want it to be important to you. How many of us agree that the unity of the body is important to God? What do you think from what we've learned? Yes, it's very important. Now, if that's true, and it is, that the unity of the body is important to the Father, and it's important to the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of us believe that it should be important to us? You get a D minus for a response. Do you think the, 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 the unity of the body should be important to us? Yes or no? It should be. To be brought into something by God's choosing, not because of who we were, but by grace and mercy, saving us and placing us in the body, gifting us. We should love what he loves. We need to value what he values. It's so important. Now, there are so many things in lives that in our lives that we do value, but we ought to value the unity of the body of Christ. And so he's saying, walk worthy of that unity. In chapter 2, he taught us that we're to be raised from the dead. And so later on, he says, so put off those grave clothes and walk worthy. He, he told us that we're reconciled to God in chapter 2, And then in chapter 5, he implores us to walk with one another in harmony. We talked last week, Pastor Coleman played terrible, terribly on the piano. You were here, you heard it. Remember, it was an illustration, David. I'm not making fun of Pastor Pastor, Pastor Tolman um, because he is an excellent pianist. But I I said, could you play discord on the piano? And it it was kind of hard for you at first. You had a hard time doing it. It wasn't coming naturally. It was hard for him to play poorly, but then he, he pulled it off and we all cringed and uh, we're glad he doesn't play like that all the time. But, it, but in this passage or in the, in the latter part of Ephesians, he's going to say, walk in harmony. God's reconciled you to himself. Be reconciled to one another. Is there any, is there any, are there any believers that you're not reconciled with? That you're not, that you're not walking in harmony with? Are you not walking in harmony with your spouse? Maybe your children or children, your parents or another church member. He wants us to walk in harmony. In chapter three, he said, uh, Christ gave you the victory. And so he says, walk in that victory. So that's the therefore. There are many things before. But look at the word beseech. And I want you to notice this. As he, as he, as he says this, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Beseech, um, to plead with, to plead. 
Now, who's doing the pleading here? Well, we could say, well, Paul is. I think Paul loved the church at Ephesus. But it's more than Paul's pleading. It's God pleading with us. I remember my father, when I was in college, imploring me to apply myself. I remember him talking to me about the sacrifices that he and mom and the family were making back home so that I could be there. And that, that is a good illustration for this, because in those first three chapters, we see these sacrifices that God our Father made so that we could be a part of this family. So we could be a part of the family of God. So we could be placed into the body of Christ so that we could serve him and please him and live for him. And now he's saying, I've put you in the body. And he's beseeching, he's imploring us, walk worthy of the sacrifice that I've made for you. You ever feel like you're you're sacrificing too much? Do you ever not feel like doing um, the right thing. And in our day today, it's even gotten to the point where we don't even want to call it the right thing anymore unless the Bible explicitly says it. Well, I mean, the Bible doesn't say I have to do that. And I think we've, we tend to come to that conclusion in our day because, well, we're tired and, you know, I do so many other things. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm given too much. I think I'm, I think I'm involved too much. I, and our Father is imploring us. He's beseeching us. Walk worthy of the sacrifice that the Lord that I've made for you is what He's saying. That the Lord Jesus Christ has made for us. So it's not just Paul beseeching them. It's our Father. He's beseeching us. He's saying, I've already blessed you. Would you respond to the love that I've shown to you? Right? We know the scriptural truth. We love him because he first loved us. This is an application of that. Walk worthy because God has loved us. He's saying, I've blessed you. Would you please respond to my, my blessing? In the Old Testament To the Jews, God's message was, obey me and I'll bless you. In the New Testament, he's saying, I've already blessed you. Would you respond to that love that I've shown you? Will you obey me? And so God has given us this marvelous calling in Christ, and it is our responsibility to live up to this calling. Now, look at verse 1 again. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, what is a worthy walk? That would be a good question. And what is this vocation? And what is this that we have been called to? I mean, he, God is beseeching us to walk worthy. He talks about a vocation. He, this, this thing that we've been called to, what, what is it specifically that we've been called to? And the answer is, it is the unity Uh, of the body of Christ. Unity is a precious gift from God. It is a precious gift of God. Have you ever been at odds with someone? You're not seeing eye to eye. You're in disagreement. There's discord. And, And some of us have, and some of us have not, maybe, seriously. But if you've ever been in a situation where there's something serious like that, it drains you emotionally. It is, it's hard to go on. Okay. Unity is a precious gift from God. Unity is a precious gift from God. Look at verse number two. He says, with all lowliness, this is what we're called to, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So in those verses, we find what we're called to, the vocation. And it really is a walk that he describes in verses 2 and 3 that is worthy of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. Unity comes from the Holy Spirit. You see it there in, in that, those pass, the passage I just read. 
Uniformity comes from outside pressure. Wear this. Be here on at this time. Um, uniformity. There's a place for uniformity. But within a church, he, he wants unity. Unity is a product of the Holy Spirit of God. Our vocation, our calling is the unity of the body of Christ. Are we dedicated to that? Every part of the body is different. We've talked about this in our study. But we all make up one body and we are joined together. Look over to verse 13 in the text, Ephesians 4, verse 13. I'll read down through verse 16. He says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That's a mature man, talking about a church being mature or individuals being mature. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about growing up and being mature. Verse 14. That we henceforth from now on be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So he's saying be stable. Then in verse 15 he says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head Even Christ, he's talking about sincerity. Now look at verse 16. This is really amazing how he says this. He says, from whom the whole body, talking about a church, fitly joined together, skillfully, intentionally joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body, unto the edifying, the building up of itself in love. So God has put us together, but we are supposed to be edifying, building each other up. We're to be strengthening one another. Many of you have done this to me or to me, for me. You have served me in this way over the years. Many of you have. Uh, whether it's a word of encouragement or a note, whether it's your life and your example of you, in your perseverance in your walk with the Lord. Some of you who are older, um, I marvel, and I don't know all the details of your life, but I marvel at how you have persevered through temptations and trials, personal failures. You've accepted God's forgiveness. You've Humbly let him lead you on in your life and your walk with him. You have persevered. You are an incredible encouragement and testimony to me. There's uh, some young people here this morning um, who are part of our youth group. And there are a few of you in particular. um, The way you pay attention to the word of God is it's preached. You have no idea what a tremendous blessing you are to me. As I watch you hear the word of God and take it in. You have an interest. You have a love for the word of God. It is an incredible blessing and encouragement to me, your brother in Christ. You, what, what, what are you doing? You're edifying me as your brother. Um, as a fellow believer, you're encouraging, you're strengthening me in my faith. Because there are moments when, when I, like you, are discouraged. Where we maybe wonder at times, you know, what are we doing or... Fleeting thoughts of discouragement or temptation come through our minds, or maybe we fall along the way. And then I remember you. I remember that you are persevering, and you are loving the Lord. And I'm seeing his power in your life, and it reminds me to continue. And so we're, we're, I'm edified, I'm strengthened, I'm built up. Look back to verse 3, the middle part. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. So unity is a product of the Holy Spirit. Where there is no unity, it means that the Spirit of God has been quenched somewhere along the the way. And he's not having his work. He's not having his way. His way is unity. It produces unity. But where there is not unity, somewhere along the way, that the work and the power of the Spirit of God is being extinguished. And so he says, walk worthy. Walking worthy is an action. It's, it's something that it's our responsibility to walk worthy of this vocation, this unity that God desires. 
we, are, we walk worthy of our vocation as we say yes to the Holy Spirit. If, if I can put it as simply as possible, that would be it. This morning, you may say, okay, I understand God the Father wants unity within his church. I understand the Spirit of God produces unity within the church. Pastor, what's my role? If God wants it and his Spirit produces it, it looks to me like everything's taken care of and i got no role in this. No. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. The Bible tells us that we can grieve him, which means to hurt him. And the Bible tells us that we can quench him. It's like taking a big bucket of water and pouring it on that campfire, you know, after we want it to go out. And what used to produce heat and light, we take that bucket of water and we extinguish that flame. And the Bible says, quench not the spirit. So it's possible for every one of us in this room to extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit of God in producing unity within his church, which would bring glory to the Father, you and I can extinguish what he's trying to do. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to extinguish his work. So what is our, we're to walk worthy of this vocation, this unity of the spirit. We're to walk worthy of this calling that he's called us to. So as simply as I can say, it would be this. Every one of us individually needs to focus on obeying the leading of the spirit of God in our lives. Um, and maybe as a church member, maybe in your family, families can have disunity. A Sunday school class can have disunity. A ministry within the church can have disunity. A church as a whole can have disunity. So maybe there's someone here and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I am, I am concerned because there is, there, are, there is disunity in a certain area. Now, I'm unaware of, I don't have anything I'm headhunting for. But if that's you... You say, what do I do, Pastor Ferguson? Here's what you do. You make it a point in your personal life to say yes to the Spirit of God. Where he leads you, you follow him. As he leads you, as he convicts you, say yes to him. Agree with him. When he convicts you, don't say, don't disagree with him. Say yes to him in your personal walk with the Lord. Um, now, I'm going to give you, I'm, I want to look at, a little bit here at, at what saying yes to the Holy Spirit produces, or what walking worthy, a worthy walk produces within a church, or what it looks like. Now, look, look at verse number, verse number two. He says, with all lowliness. This is what a worthy walk, a worthy walk includes lowliness. What is that? Lowliness is humility. Humility. Um, it's been said that humility is the grace that when you know you have it, I'm, hum I'm humble. When you, when you know you have it, you've lost it. Okay? When you think you're humble, I think I'm humble. I think I've arrived. You, the saying goes, you've lost it. Humility means putting Christ first, others second, and self last. Lowliness means knowing ourselves. In Romans talks about this. Accepting who God has made us to be. I don't know why I have brown hair. I always wanted red hair. I wish, remember the, the spiritual gifts? You know, I wish I had the gift of mercy. Why don't I, have, why don't I get to have the gift of mercy? Why, why don't I get to have the gift of teaching? You know, no, humility is accepting the gift. It's accepting who God has made us to be. It's accepting, Lord, thank you for making me. Thank you for having me birth to Ray and Kathy Ferguson in 1979 in the Upper Peninsula. Lord, thank you for taking me there to school. Thank you for bringing me there. Thank you for who you brought into my life. Thank you for me to marry and Cindy. Thank you for the children you've given me. Not, not coveting this or that, or I wish my life were different. I wish, no, no. Accepting who God has, what he's doing in our lives, how he's done it, who he's made us to be. And being ourselves for the glory of God. God doesn't condemn us for honestly accepting who he's made us to be. Over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul had said this. He said, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That has the idea of being truthful or honest about who we really are, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And so God doesn't want us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought or less than we ought, but just be honest and and be lowly, be humble. Um, a worthy walk includes lowliness. We see that in the passage. Look again at verse number two. What else does a worthy walk that we're, he, we're besought to walk worthy of this vocation wherewith we are called? And then he says, do it with lowliness. And then what does he say? Do it with meekness. A worthy walk includes meekness. And meekness. How many of us think, how many of us, you know, when I was a teenager, did I think, I want to be meek? I want to be meek. Um, we tend to think of meekness as, as weak, being weak. But that's not true. Meekness is power under control. He's talking to a church. He's talking to men and women. He's saying unity is of the Father and of the, by the Spirit. But you have a walk. You need to walk. You need to take some steps. You have a role to play in the unity of the church as well. And you need to walk worthy of what the, of what God has sacrificed to put this church together. And, and to, to walk worthy, what do you need to do? Well, you need to walk in lowliness and meekness. Power under control. Power under control. Um, Moses was a meek man. He led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Numbers 12 and verse 3, the Bible says this about Moses. It says, now the man Moses was very meek. Listen to this. Above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. How many of us think that's a compliment? It is. That's a tremendous compliment. Wouldn't it be great to have some men at, within Trinity Baptist Church who were meek men? Meek. Almost known for their meekness. Oh, they have power. They have wisdom. They have knowledge. They have may have financial resources. They may have expertise. They may have youth or strength. But, but they're meek. Power under control. Some moms could be known for that. How about some teenagers? To be known for being meek. Power. They don't have to say everything they think. They don't have to say everything that comes to their mind. They're learning. They're growing. They're maturing. They're athletic or they're intelligent, maybe in academics, or maybe they're empathetic. I mean, it's just who God's made them to be, but there's a meekness. There's a strength that's under control. Moses was meek, but he exercised incredible power. The Greeks in the New Testament was penned down first in Greek and then translated into different languages and copied over and over again. But the Greeks had a word for meekness, and it's found in our text, and it's, they used it in different writings, and they used it to refer to medication. That if you took too much, it could hurt you, but used in the right amounts, it brought healing. They used, it to, they used this word, Greek word to refer to a cult that had been trained. In other words, a cult that is untrained could hurt somebody. But a cult, this powerful animal that has been trained, it has all of this power, but it's under control. Okay, so uh, they, they use it to refer to a, 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 the wind, but a gentle wind. I mean, wind can be destructive, right? It can take the shingles off your house. It can blow a house down. I mean, it can do all kinds of damage, but they used to refer it to a gentle wind. Wind can be powerful destructively, but here it's the same word. It's meekness. It's power under control. Matthew 11, verse 29 says that Jesus Christ was meek and lowly of heart. How many of us think we need to be meek? Yes or no? What do you think? We do. We do. Guess what? I, I want to be meek. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be lowly. I want to be meek. Look at the next word. He says long-suffering. A worthy walk includes long-suffering. I like that word. There's not a whole lot of description that needs to come with it, is there? Long suffering. 
long-suffering. If you're a, a child of God and you've been saved for any time at all, and you're married, there's long-suffering that has to take place in the marriage. Parents, there's long-suffering that has to take place training up children. Children, have you ever had to suffer long with your parents? Don't answer. Just smile. All right. There is in relationships. This is this is very general. By the way, an unsaved person, if they if they could follow these truths, they would they would benefit from them. The results are it's like gravity. They're laws. They work. They work. But I want us to do it because we love the Lord. He's saying because of all the riches I've given you, you talked about those in the first three chapters and what we highlighted them this morning, I beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, this unity of the church. Do it with lowliness and meekness and with long-suffering. Be long-tempered. Don't fight back. How long should we be dedicated to suffering if the Lord sees fit to call us to suffer, or if we find our place, our, 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 ourselves in a place of suffering, how long should we be, be willing to suffer? Long. Long. Knowing that God brings these things into our lives. Father, I don't understand. We may not understand. God, I don't see the point. In our humanity, we may not see the point, we may not understand, we, we may at times even disagree with God, which would be sin, at least in the sense of it's not faith. That's in our humanity. We've all been there. But how long should we be willing to suffer? And the answer is long, long uh, look at the next word. A worthy walk includes forbearing one another. Forbearing one another. The word forbearing means to put up with. To put up with. I've told you before, but I know I, I have people who are close to me who they would say they're saved, but they don't attend church at all. Never, never gather with God's people. Not any church, ever. Because, because maybe of offenses in the past, because they've been they've been hurt, or maybe they're they don't understand, they disagree with other people, and so they just don't do it anymore. You know that being part of a body, the body of Christ, I think God part of the purpose of it, it's to draw us to Him, it's to, for us to be edified and strengthened. But edifying and strengthening doesn't just happen through positive preaching though there is edification to be had through preaching, it happens by interacting with one another. It happens. We're edified and strengthened when sometimes we may offend the other person, but then we take personal responsibility for that, and it's made right, and there's reconciliation. You see, God intends for us to, to grow, to be edified, and he says, I want you to, be, to put up with one another. I want you to endure. <laughs> the word forbearing can actually mean suffer. Forbearance is possible with love, with agape love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, charity suffereth long. Now, I don't want Trinity Baptist Church to be known. We'll put it on our sign. Come suffer with us. Come, we'll make you suffer. Come, we'll make you pay. Okay, you will grow being a part of us. You know, no, no, no. That's not what we want. It ought to be a haven we are people, but if I want us to be a, I want us to be a haven where we where it is a blessing to be together. But if you've been saved for any length of time at all, I think Sarah, she had come by the church. Was it for release time or maybe to do some cleaning around the church? I don't remember what it was. And I had made a visit. I had come. I'm walking down the hall, and Sarah had come faithfully for years. She's here. And I walked and turned around the corner and I said, hi, Rachel. And she won't let me forget it, okay? But it was not close, Sarah and Rachel. I don't know a Rachel. 
Like, I don't know one in my life. I knew one when I was a teenager. That's the last Rachel I knew. And uh, she teases me about it. But she could have been offended by that, right? Pastor doesn't know my name. So if you're going to be a part of a church for any length of time, there are going to be things maybe that you disagree. I might call you Rachel. You know, if you're a man, please forgive me. If you're a lady, please forgive me. But you have to put up with people who call you Rachel from time to time. Okay? So forbearing. Look at look at the, the next verse. He says endeavoring. This is something else. This Part of a worthy walk is endeavoring. Endeavoring, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's of the Spirit, but we need to endeavor to keep it in the bond of peace. And the word endeavoring means to bring, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. To be eager to maintain it. Satan wants to destroy it. If we get in our flesh, we can be used for Satan to destroy it, to hurt it. It's, it's valuable to God. It's precious to him. He desires it. His spirit produces it. His spirit is working. Christ in us is working for the unity of the body of Christ. All these different body parts as God has joined us together. All these different spiritual gifts. Uh, he's working. He, he wants us to be united. He wants Christ to be seen to this world. The local church, the body of Christ is the physical manifestation of Christ today to the world. And, and, and he's our head. Christ is the head and we are the body. And what part of the body are you, right? Are you the big toe or the little toe or the arm or the mouth or the ear, right? The tongue. I don't know what part of the body you are, but he, he's compactly, he's fitly, intentionally joined us together. And, and yet we still sin and we have this flesh. And he's saying here, if you're going to walk worthy of this vocation, and it is a high calling, this unity of the body of Christ, you're going to have to endeavor to do it. You're going to have to endeavor to do it. You're going to have to be intentional about it. Uh, you're going to have to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. When I'm doing premarital counseling for a young couple and they're getting they're going to get married, you know, and. They're normally nervous about asking me if I'll perform the wedding. There seems to be a nervousness, but they get over that because they want to be married, you know. And uh, and uh, I always try to set them at ease, you know. I'm not I'm not here to to hurt this, you know. This is wonderful. I'm excited about it. We do we do different studies and we spend time together, and it's fun. I enjoy. It. At least it's fun for me. I don't know if they do. I enjoy it. And uh, but normally when a, uh, a man and a woman want to be married. They've got this love, you know, but they can't wait. You know, we talk about arguing or dis how to disagree agreeably, you know, things like that. And and disagreement. We, we've never had disagreement, you know, at that point in their in their lush love life with one another. You know, they've never had disagreement. They just just look into each other's eye. You know, all the disagreements go away. Um. But if after marriage, they're going to succeed in that marriage, they have to work at loving one another. Now, it's not always work. There's tons of joy that comes with being married. But along the way, if they're going to maintain a vibrant relationship and unity with one another, they have to work at loving one another. And that same truth applies to members of the church. You know, maybe when God first brought you to Trinity, you were like, this is amazing. Pastor knew my name back then when I first came. And, uh, you know, and he talked to me or uh, or, you know, everything was every everybody's so. But after time, you know, then this some, a disagreement here and pastor forgets my name and whatever else may come along. If God's joined you to the body, endeavor to keep the unity, endeavor to keep the unity. In, be intentional about it. Understand, no, Satan is attacking. My flesh is weak. My brothers and sisters have flesh too. But we want what God wants. We want this unity that, that is of the Holy Spirit of God. So unity is a precious gift of God. 
Uh, look at verses 4 down through verse 6. And I just want to make one simple statement about this. Unity comes from one source. And that is God. Look at verse 4. He says, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, there's a lot of words and it is beautifully written, but I don't want us. I don't want you to get bogged down. I want you to just see the big picture of that. God has saved us. He's put us into his body, the body of Christ. And he wants us to be one. He wants us to be one. Older and younger. Rich, poor. People have been saved a lot of years and some have only been saved a little, little bit of time. Some who are single. We have singles. we got people who have been married. Are married. Teenagers. We've got children. We've got people who are fervent about with different gifts, right? Fervent about certain things and gifted in other ways and have different experiences in their past. And, and maybe different cultural backgrounds. Struggling with temptation, right? I mean, there are seasons in our lives of discouragement and then great joy and success and and we're all going through this life. And God's brought us together. And we are his church. And we belong to him. And I want to agree. I want you and me to agree with God that he wants unity within his church. Now he's going to talk about other things as we go on next week. And we'll see some of those things. I'm going to quote um, A.W. Tozer before we close this morning. He wrote this, quote, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, same tuning fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. Every piano bows to that one tuning fork. And then he says, so 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and to turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So my heart's desire is not that all of us would be so unity conscious that we're all we're cared about is we're willing to compromise truth and just to just to have, protect unity. No, no, no. Unity comes by the Spirit. And so when each one of us are saying yes to the Spirit, He brings us together. So, church, if church, I'm speaking to believers. As a child of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, let's make it a point in this evil day, temptations all around, our flesh trying to determine a different path. Let's each one of us make it a point, make it a point to say, Lord, lead me by your Holy Spirit. And the result of it, so many results that are positive, but one of the results is the church will thrive. And in this wicked day, there is a desperate need for this world to see churches that are thriving. Churches that are thriving. Something unusual. Something almost unbelievable. And it will be because of the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse chapter 3 and verse 20, he says it this way. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And then he says, Amen. May it be so. May it be so. Do you want what the Holy Spirit of God can do in us individually and in our church? Yes or no? I want that.
I want that. Lord, start the work in me. Continue the work in me. May it be so. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes before we sing.